You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning. Who loves Jesus in this place? Come on. God is good, huh? God is good. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you're going to move this afternoon, this morning. I'm already ahead, you see. I believe you're going to move in a powerful way, Lord, and I just give you permission. Lord, we give you permission. We ask you, Jesus, that you would do what only you can do, which is change hearts in this place, Lord. However our hearts are before you, I ask you that you would ignite them and that they would begin to burn for you and for men. Lord, we love you. Jesus, just give you this time, Lord. We pray that you would be exalted in this place. We love you. We look to you. It's all about you. Lord, as we look at the scriptures, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds to the nuggets of truth that you've placed in the word of God. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And everybody said, amen. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. I can't remember the last time I was here. It wasn't that long, hopefully. It wasn't, that's good. It's good when they keep inviting me back, huh? It means it wasn't too bad the time before, so that's good. But it's lovely to be with you all. You are a family to us. We love you guys like a family. I call you our tribe. And I'm excited and privileged to be part of this church community. So God is doing wonderful things at this time in this community. If you don't believe me, then come and have a chat with me after and I'll tell you some stories. But the Lord is doing some amazing things in our community. I believe God's handprint is on Woodland and on the Pacific Northwest in this time. And God is moving in great ways. Look at this fine specimen. If you don't know him, we call him Juicy Jeffers. This is Juicy Jeffers. Okay, we're going to look at Revelation 3. So I have the privilege of ending the series that Aaron and Jonathan have done an incredible job on. Hopefully, I will not disappoint you. I know they're a hard act to follow. But we're going to look at Revelation 3. We're going to look at the final letter that Jesus wrote to the churches. So we're going to look at Revelation 3 and verse 14. So what I want to do, I just want to read through this scripture and then we're going to just uh, break it down and look at certain things from it and then see what the Lord does. Does that sound good? Okay, Revelation 3 verse 14. Do we have it on the screen? Hopefully, maybe. Okay, I'll read it to you anyway if you don't have a Bible. This is what it says. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalf that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repentant. Verse 20, a personal favorite of mine. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame 
and sat down with my father on his throne. So Revelation 3, 14 to 22 is what we're going to be covering this morning. This letter was written by Jesus to, and the place was Asia Minor or modern day Turkey as we refer to it now. This was a letter that was following a thread of other letters, but the difference between this letter to the Laodiceans and the other churches is that this letter was a little bit more harsh. You see, the other letters were quite harsh, but the difference with this one is there was no commendation, only condemnation. There was no positivity in this letter. Has anyone ever seen Trolls, the movie Trolls? Just a little bit of positivity. Never seen that movie? It's good. So there was no positivity at all in this letter. It was kind of like a scorning. It was Jesus coming at the church saying, wake up. What are you playing at? I'm outside. I'm not even inside the church. Like it was a bad, bad situation that we're dealing with here. So I just want to break this thing down. I just want to look at uh, verse 14. So verse 14 says this. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. So what is amen? Jesus is calling himself the amen. You see, amen is a term that's used in scripture. And what it does, it kind of seals the statement. It's saying that this is, this is true. You know, we read um, also in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises in him are yes and amen. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm the amen. I am God's amen. I am the amen of God. And what I'm about to say comes straight from the throne room, comes straight from the mouth of God to you. So this is the power and the ferocity that Jesus is launching this statement that is to come. And then we go into verse 15, and this is when, so so Jesus is laying the foundations before he declares his statement. And this is probably the strongest statement, I believe, uh, Jesus ever spoke to anybody. And he had some quite strong statements. This is what he said. He said this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, but because you were lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, that's, that's strong. I mean, we like strong in this house, huh? But I mean, that's strong. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, you're not cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. Now, I want to give you guys a bit of a cultural context for this phrase because, you know, I, we, we all hear it. We've all heard this, well, many of us, about the cold nor hot thing. We're lukewarm, and it's become a little bit of a, a kind of mantra for many. But I just want to give you a bit of cultural context. This is how it works. Laodicea, uh, culturally, was a, a city that was well known for three main things. The first one was wealth. The the Laodicea had um, a bank. The center of the banks were based there, so it was known for money. It was all about money. They were like wealthy, wealthy city, the most wealthy city in the whole region. So that was number one. Number two, it was known for textiles. They produced a thick, uh, glossy black wool, sheep's wool. And through this wool, they would make carpets and clothes. And it became renowned. It became like a a, a material, a textile that that, uh, kings and famous people sought after. So this put them on the map in terms of supplying textiles to people. And number three was medicine. What happened was in, the, in Laodicea, they had a medical school that was very famous. And the doctors that came from that medical school were so famous and so renowned that some of them made it onto coins, onto local money, the faces of the doctors. And the medical school, what they were not renowned for is they produced an eye salve. And what it did, it was like an ointment for eyes. So it would heal eyes when they got like chapped and, and damaged and, and diseased. So this medical school produced this eye ointment. 
again, that was so sought after. I guess back in, in those days, you know, they didn't have Ray-Bans. So when it got sunny, what did they do in the, in the sun? Well, this, this was kind of like a cream that would sort of protect them, an ointment that would protect their eyes. And this became a very, very popular thing. So these three things became what they were uh, um, synonymous with as a city. Wealth, textiles, and um, medicine. Those three things. And what is Jesus saying here? This is what he's saying. You see, the city was so well known and so famed for success, except it had an Achilles heel. It had a weakness. I'm going to tell you what that weakness was. They had no water supply. So it had everything that you could want in a city, except probably the most important thing, which was water. There was no water supply at all. So what they used to do, the Romans had uh, invented the aqueduct, and what they would do is they would draw water from nearby cities using the aqueduct system. So the two neighboring cities were Colossae and Hierapolis. And what they would do is they would either draw water from Colossae or Hierapolis. But these two were known for, for their, uh, their water. This is why. Colossae was known for its cold, refreshing water. And Hierapolis was known for its warm, uh, uh, therapeutic, healing kind of uh, uh, warm water. So, so much so that they would use this water in the ointment that they would uh, create the eye ointment. So... Here's Laodicea in the middle. You've got the refreshing cold water here. You've got the therapeutic hot springs of Herapolis, and they're stuck in the middle with nothing. So what they would do, they'd use the aqueduct system to bring it to them. But by the time they had arrived, it was neither refreshingly cold or it was neither therapeutically warm. It was just lukewarm. Now, what good is lukewarm water to anybody? If you've ever been on, a, on, a, on, a, on holiday, or, or for us, this is holiday, because we don't get sunshine where we come from. So you go to like the Costa del Sol or, or wherever you go, or, or the Bahamas. But we come here, I mean, we as in my family, because we don't get sun in Ireland where we come from. So we came, last two summers ago, we came here and we're like, what? That big yellow thing in the sky actually works. This is crazy, man. This is like a novelty for us, you know? So we came to Woodland and we're kicking it back at the lake here, what do you call that lake? Horseshoe Lake. Horseshoe Lake, I should know that. Horseshoe Lake, we're kicking it back. You know, the, the uh, kind of flamingo inflatables, sitting back, chilling out, just basking in the sun, yeah? Because that's what happens here. You get sunshine, which is an amazing thing. So where was I going with that? So what happens is in the sun, when it's sunny, this is what happens, I remember. You get thirsty. So what do you do? You keep your bottle of water by your side, yeah? And then you go out for a little swim or whatever. You come back and it's warm. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's lukewarm. And what good is lukewarm to anybody, man? You just drink it and you're like... And if you've never drank, like if you, if you don't know it's lukewarm, what happens? You drink it and you spit it out. This is kind of the, the setting that Jesus is trying to establish. He's not just throwing out... Jesus never throws out a comment. He never throws out a one-liner. It's always backed up with something. He's always trying to get to the root issue of something. If Jesus comments something about somebody, there's a root that he's trying to reflect. You know, Jesus spoke in parables. And when he told parables, what he was trying to do was address another issue through a story of a parable. So what he's saying is, look, guys, you've got a problem. The problem is, is that you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. Why is that a problem? It's a problem for many reasons. This is why. Verse 17, this is what it says. You have become miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Again, that's quite strong. Miserable, 
wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Now, Jesus is talking to a church, talking to an actual church. So what does that mean? That means that you can be part of a church and you can be miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus can look at you and see you that way. That's pretty scary. So for some of you this morning, Jesus may be looking at you and saying, man, okay, they're at church. They're part of the promised church, but man, they're miserable. They're naked. They're poor. It's painful, huh? That is what it means to be lukewarm. Miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. In verse 18, Jesus goes on and he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. What is Jesus saying? I counsel you to come buy from me. The word buy in the Greek is a word that means redeem. So he's saying, I counsel you to come and redeem from me gold. But what is he saying? Jesus is scorning them here because he knows that their pride is in their wealth. The pride is in the, the textiles. That the pride is in their abilities. The pride is in their talents, in their money. And Jesus is coming at these things and he's saying, look, you think you have gold, but there's a different kind. So he addresses it this way by saying, Gold refined in the fire. So what's he saying? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So what is he saying? Well, if you look at 1 Peter 1, 67, we read that faith is more precious than gold. We read that like faith, when gold gets purified, it becomes more valuable than gold. So what Jesus is saying to these guys, he's saying, look, you have a gold, but it's not worth anything. I want to give you a gold that is worth something. What is that gold? It's called faith. Because at the minute, they didn't have it. So he begins to knock his way through and work his way through the most important things here. The next thing he says is this. Uh, and your white garments that you may be clothed. Again, they had a textile industry of this uh, thick uh, black wool, glossy, um, glossy wool that was very famed. So Jesus is saying, look, you've got that, but I can give you white garments. You know, we read in Isaiah about robes of righteousness. So they've got these kind of, they've got these black, uh, this black wool, this, these clothing, these regalia, things that are worth something that are very valuable. And Jesus said, that means nothing. Because I can give you robes of righteousness. I can give you white raiment. It's things that are going to make you actually clean, you know. So he begins to make his way through. And then he goes uh, to, sh- the, to cover the shame of your nakedness. And then he says this. He talks about anointing your eyes, eyes with salve that you may see. And again, on the last thing, he touches on the medicine. He touches on the cream, the eye salve, the ointment, the thing that had become uh, so uh, synonymous with this place. He's saying, even with that, it means nothing because you're blind. So you have the cream and you're fixing up your eyes real good on the outside, but you're spiritually blind. You can't see the mess that you're in. You can't see the fact that you're not even cold and you're not even hot, but you're lukewarm. You're just like this kind of... I've got to get, get you out of me, man. I've got, to, I've got to get you away from me. It's disgusting the way that you are because you've made it all about yourself. You've made it all about your accomplishments and what you have. You've made it about your wealth. You've made it about uh, your, your career, your job, and you've made it about your talents. But where is your heart? Where are you for me? And the worst thing about a, a lukewarm church, the worst thing about this church is that they masked that they were a church. You know, you know, if you meet a sinner, I'm sure we've all been one at one time or another. 
I was the chief of sinners. When I was a sinner, man, I didn't have a problem admitting that I was a sinner. If somebody come up to me and said, you know, do you do that? I'd, I'd admit it, yeah. I wouldn't try and pretend that I was someone I wasn't. For me, that is like a foul stench. When you meet a Christian uh, and they put on this mask and they're like, yeah, man, I'm doing great with God. And they come out with all the buzzwords and they're in the prayer means, hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother. And they're coming out with all the, all the buzz phrases, but behind closed doors, they're a wretched, uh, dirty, uh, uh, unclean kind of person. That is the worst kind of sinner because they're masking it as, they're a, as a representative of God. They're masking themselves as an ambassador of Christ. And that is like a foul stench up into the throne room of God. So much so that Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. How could we be in this? How could the church get into this situation? What I ask myself is this, were they even believers? Were, did they even know Jesus? I mean, you can know about him, but, but there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. Do they, did they really know him? How many people across America today are sat in churches, and some here I'm sure, sat in churches just playing around at this thing? Just like, yeah, you know, I, I believe in God and I pray, you know, when I go to bed. And... But for you, there are other things in your life that are more important than, than Jesus. Your money, your bank balance, your job, or your talents. Things that take precedence in your life before God. And you come to church, but really your heart's been captivated by one of those three things or other things. Your heart's not really for him. And he sits and he looks at you and he says, you're wretched, you're naked, you're poor, you're blind. But the good news is, there's always a solution with Jesus, huh? He doesn't just point the finger and then say, no, on your merry way. He gives us a way out. So we read in verse 19, as many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. What does that mean? Chasten means to purify. As many as I love, I purify. You see, he points the finger so we can show you and he shines the light so we can show you your mess so then he can say, let me purify you. Come to me and I will purify your life. And then we go on to verse 20, which is my personal favorite. Jesus says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens, I'll come and eat with them. What is Jesus saying there? This is what he's saying. He's saying that you can know about him and you can believe in him and you can pray and you can talk to him and you can be good on the inside, but never really know him. I describe it this way. If you imagine for many in our community, you know the image of Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. And the idea is that there's a handle on the inside so you can only let him in. And the way I describe it to many people is this. Religion happens on the outside and relationship happens on the inside. You see, what this church were doing is they were just going through religious practices. Man, I turn up at church. Yeah, you know, I pray before I go to bed. You, you know, I, I even fast uh, once or twice a week like the Pharisees used to. You know, you can tick the religious boxes, but your heart's like way, way far off from God. But are you ticking the boxes or have you given him your heart? So Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What's he saying? He's saying, every single heart, I'm knocking and I want to come in. But you got the handle. You got, only you can let me in. I won't force my way in. So Jesus has just presented the, the, the problem before everybody, before the church. He said, here's the problem. And now here's the solution. I'm outside and I want to come in and I want to make it right. Right? 
but there's something required if you're going to let him in. What is that? This is what it is here. Verse 19. Therefore be zealous and repent. If you want to let him in, you've got to repent. What does repent mean? It means to change direction, change your mind. So what it means is you're walking a certain road all your life. And you're being led by whatever it is you're being led by. You know your heart. Whatever's leading you is not Jesus. And whatever's leading you, you're following. And he says, if you want it to change, if you want to leave being wretched, poor, blind, and naked, if you want to leave the road that you're on, you need to turn and repent and change your direction and make me your everything. You need to leave the road you're on. Get off it, move, and turn. You see, you can believe in God. You can be a church member, but it's not enough. What he's asking for is your heart. And you can kid yourself and say, yeah, well, you know, I'm not as zealous as as Pastor Aaron. You know, I don't have that kind of passion, but, you know, I think I'm good with God. But are you kidding yourself? How does he look at you? Maybe he looks at you this morning and he says, hey, you're in church just like the Laodiceans, but you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. If you were honest with yourself, where is Jesus in this equation? Is he outside knocking or is he inside eating with you? You see, in Jewish culture, to eat together was an intimate act. You don't just go for a quick bite. It's a long, drawn-out process. It takes a few hours. It's a detailed, intimate act where you open up your lives, you share what's on your heart, you, you engage with each other. It's, a, it's an intimate engagement. That's why Jesus uses this phrase, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens, I'll come and eat with them. You see, what he wants from you isn't your prayers or isn't your church attendance. What he wants is your heart. You see, when he gets that, everything else will fall into place. I don't come to church because I have to. I never did. Do you know when I first came to know Jesus, I was 24 years of age, living in Liverpool, mixing with gangsters, taking heavy amounts of cocaine and living a crazy lifestyle, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I had an encounter with the risen Christ. I was sat on some steps and his Holy Spirit followed me and I began to weep. And as I was, before I began to weep, I was in a moment of what I called a tug of war. You guys know what a tug of war is. You've got people on one end pulling this way, yeah? And then you've got people on the other end. I was in a tug of war. I sat there. There was nobody there. Sat there, and suddenly I'm being pulled into this place of darkness and death. And I'm afraid, and I feel like I'm going to die. And then suddenly it goes, and I'm over here, and I'm in a place of peace and happiness and warmth and joy. And it goes on for about two minutes. I'm back, and I'm this way, and I'm that way. And then God says, you've got to choose. You've got to choose which one do you want. You see, he won't choose it for you. He knocks at the door, but it's up to you to open. He ain't going to kick that door down. Sorry. It ain't going to happen for some of you lethargical lethargical types. He ain't going to kick your door down. He's going to knock. Why? Because love is a choice and you've got to choose to love him. So I'm in this moment and I'm back and forth, tug of war. The Lord says, you decide. So what happened? My whole body began to tingle and I said, God, with everything I have, I want you. You know what was so amazing about it? I didn't even speak. It was a cry in my heart. I didn't even speak any words. I just inside, I said, God, everything I have, I don't think I have much, but whatever I have, you can take it all. Do you know what? It was like someone coming, cut that rope, and I was a free man. I began to weep and weep. Come on, praise God. The moment of salvation never gets, never gets old, huh? And I began to weep like a baby because I was set free for the first time in my life. You know, I believed in God growing up. I was raised by my amazing mom, who's listening to the, who'll be listening to this podcast. 
He'll be here in a couple of weeks. I was raised by four foot nine, ten. Sorry, mom, if I'm wrong, but she's small. And she raised me and, and my dad, my, my dad and his family kind of from a criminal background. And my dad was a career criminal and he kind of split. And my family, my, my, the McNamara heritage up until right now was womanizers, brawlers, uh, alcoholics. That was our history, our heritage. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and said, Scott, he said, I'm writing a new heritage. So from this place onwards, we're going to be known as a godly family, as a family of soul winners, as a family of nation shakers. That's what I believe. Why? Because God writes a new story when he gets a hold of you. And my mom raised me in the ways of Jesus as a young kid from nine years of age upwards. I knew the truth. I knew what it was all about, but it took me to the age of 24 to accept it. So I knew I believed, I believed he was there. That made me even more shocking than my friends. At least my friends who were sinning, they didn't even know about Jesus. They didn't know this truth. I had no excuse. I was raised in this home by a single mother, knowing all about the power of God, seeing the power of God at work in her life in ways I couldn't deny. I should have known better. And I'm sitting in the middle of these drug-infested parties, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, mixing with friends of mine who didn't know what I knew. I was wretched, poor, blind, and naked. And God must have looked at me and must have broke his heart to say, Scott, you know so much. This is not how you should be living. I want to tell you, for some of you, you're breaking God's heart right now. Because you put everything else but him at the center of your life. You put your bank balance. You put your job and your career, your family even. Or your talents before Jesus and his heart's breaking. He says, have I not done enough for you? Have I not done enough? We just took communion earlier on where we remembered what he did on the cross. Pastor Aaron described beautifully what happened. Beautifully, honestly, what happened where Jesus became disfigured. He didn't do that to make you a Sunday Christian. He didn't do that so you can pray five minutes before you go to sleep. He did it because He longs for your heart. He did it because He stands at the door of your life and says, there is so much more if you'd only let me in, if you'd only taste and see that I'm good. If you'd only give me your whole life, I'll turn it upside down and inside out and I'll show you what relationship is. He loves you so much that He doesn't want you to play around at this thing. You see, there is a road and it will take you to destruction. I know because I've been there. I was 24 years of age and I saw the gates of hell. I was about to overdose, uh, about to die from a drug overdose. This is how I came to Jesus, before I came to Jesus. I saw the gates of hell before my very eyes. My best friend just overdosed in front of me, taken off dead in an ambulance. I stood there and saw the gates of hell. You may say, man, you were tripping, you were high. No, believe me, I knew what I saw. And as I saw it, I'm moving towards it and I realized something. I realized that I'm on the wrong road. You see, you can be on the wrong road believing in the right God. The truth of it is you've got to leave the wide road that will take you to destruction. You've got to turn around, repent, change direction and enter the narrow path that leads to life. Now you can look at me and you can say, man, yeah, but you screwed up. You were an addict, you were messed up. I want to tell you this. The Bible tells us that everybody's in the kingdom of darkness until he brings us into the kingdom of light. So I don't care how stinking righteous or how good you think you are, because I've got newsflash for you, you ain't so good. 
You may look at me and say, oh man, you're a, you're a dirty old sinner. I've got news for you. So are you. If you've not been washed by the blood, you're as filthy as I was. You can kid yourself, but it makes no difference. I was in, in Paris going to uh, Belfast on my way home from Belfast. And I was in the airport and I'd been speaking in France and I'm super tired. And I'm like, man, I don't want to speak to anybody. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. I describe it this way, you know, like men and women, we have quota of words, don't we? Well, I kind of use my quota of words. So I'm thinking, I don't want to speak to anybody today. I'm just going to get, get on my flight and sleep and I'm done. So I get in the airport and, you know, if, if I had I had a sign that says evangelist off duty, I would have put it out there, you know, because kind of that's how I was feeling. You know what I mean? I was just like, I got nothing left. So I sit down and I put my hood up and my headphones on and I wait to board my flight from Paris to Belfast. And as I'm sat there, I'm just kind of waiting for my gate to be called and I see the gate get called. I stand up and I walk into the line. I stand in the line and I'm just kind of like, you know, hurry up. And I'm dreaming about being on the plane. I'm just so tired. I'm dreaming about uh, uh, getting my head down on one of those useless neck pillows. Man, I swear that's one of the biggest swindles in, in the world today. I swear, I must have spent $200 on these things over the years. Do you know what? I always wake up like this. What good is a neck pillow if, I'm a, if I don't use the thing? So I'm dreaming about being on the plane and I'm standing there. As I'm standing, I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around. There's a lady behind me in her late 50s with her daughter. She taps me on the, on the shoulder. She says, there, excuse me, I just noticed your, uh, your jacket. I had a Jesus at the door jacket. I just noticed your jacket. I said, oh, yeah, thanks. Put my hood back up, put my earphones back on. I'm ashamed to say, but this is how tired I was. Now, I've learned from this, so you're okay, don't worry. You're like, evangelist, get off the stage. You don't, you don't deserve to be on the promised stage. But I've, I've improved, I've learned from my mistakes. So I'm there and I'm thinking, and then the Holy Spirit begins to prod me, and like, you need to speak to her. And I'm like, Lord, read the sign. I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm tired, you know? So the Lord's like, no, you got to, and I'm getting a nudge. I'm kind of getting a nudge and I'm thinking, I don't really want to speak to her. You know, is anyone, I know you're all too holy. You've never been in that situation, but the Lord nudges you and you try and ignore the nudge. You know, if you've got, if you, you know, try and like turn the music up louder or, or take your mind. Oh, our number one favorite is get out of there. Because if you're not in the same place, then you can't, you, you can't, you don't have to do it anymore. So if you're in, the, in a shopping line and the Lord says, speak to the person, you're like, just get out of here quick and then I won't have to do it, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm there and I'm thinking, just get me on my plane, get me on my plane and everything, life will be good again. So I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting and they say, sorry, there's a problem, we're going to have to, uh, 15 minutes while we kind of fix some uh, situation, so just make yourselves uh, uh, comfortable for the next 15 minutes. I'm like, oh no. So 15 minutes, I felt like 15 hours to me because the Lord keeps nudging me and I keep ignoring his nudge. So finally, we board the plane and I come over here and I, I get my stuff out of my bag and then I, uh, everybody goes past and I'm one of the last people onto the plane. I walk on the plane and I'm looking for my seat. Everybody sat down. I'm looking for my seat. I look down the distance at the end of the plane. I see the mother and daughter and then I start feeling even worse. So I keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Headphones and hood up. Look up. There's my seat. Who sat next to me? The mother and daughter. I'm like, okay, Lord, I get it now, sorry. So I, 
I go over to the mother and daughter. I sit down next to them and I say, look, I'm really, really sorry. I have to apologize. The Lord told me to speak to you and I didn't do it. I need to share with you right now. And I understood the urgency of this situation. And I began to share. We had a three-hour flight. It was incredible. Tears were shared. We hugged. It was amazing. Do you know what happened? What had happened is this lady, this business lady from a wealthy family from America. She was from Belfast born but when she was young she moved to America met an American husband and she was on her way from Paris back to Belfast they've been on a, um, a vacation for a few weeks you see because her son had taken his own life and she was distraught they were a family that had everything she was a very well-to-do lady you could tell from the way she was dressed and the way she acted very well spoken they were a very very comfortable wealthy family but their lives had been rocked She's a believer, goes to church, but she doesn't know Jesus. So I begin to explain and walk her through Jesus at the door and, and we hit a bit of a barricade. The barricade is the fact that, you know, she kind of thinks that she's a good person. You know, I, I kind of haven't really done that, that many bad things in my life and you know, I kind of think I'm okay, you know. That this was a bit of an issue for her. She couldn't really get over this. If you can't uh, admit that you're a sinner, you don't need a savior. So we had a nice time, and, uh, and then the last thing she said to me, she said, Scott, can I have your Jesus at the door card? Can I, can I keep it? And I said, yeah, of course. So I gave her the card, and we hugged, and I walked away. Six months later, I received an email. Me and Jay received an email to our ministry website, and this is what it said. And I began to realize that we need to give the Lord a chance to convict people's hearts but also that people need to listen to his voice. This is what she said. She said, Hi, Scott. I believe it was you, my daughter, and I sat beside late June on a flight from Paris to Belfast. My previous son, Alexander, had died suddenly in September 2017 while my husband and I were traveling on vacation. Our hearts have been shattered, and our very close family unit has been forever traumatized by the loss of our fun-loving hard-working, sweet and sensitive Alexander. We are still in shock and disbelief, although trying to keep and hope and trust in God as we walk through each day seeking Him for strength and courage and acceptance. We had spent four weeks traveling and visiting family and friends and the entire time not one person prayed with us or acknowledged our loss to the extent that it provided any one of us comfort. It was heartbreaking and disappointing until we met you. We shared our story and you inspired us with your testimony and your love of Jesus and the gospel and witness to the transformative impact it has had on so many lives. You prayed with us and from that encounter, we've been so encouraged to just trust and seek an intimate relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father. On my son Alexander's headstone, we had a picture of Jesus at the door engraved. I have opened the door to Jesus. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I thank God for the lives you have reached and hearts you have opened. God bless you in your ministry with my deepest gratitude. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Let me tell you this. A lady in her position that she was in, she thought she was okay. Until the Holy Spirit began to convict him, work in her heart. And he began to show her that you're not so good as the way you thought you were. And I believe the Lord is doing that with some of you this morning. That he's saying, hey, you weren't as good as you thought you were. Why? Because you can't make it alone. 
You're trying to make it on your good deeds. You're trying to make it on on your wealth or your status or your abilities. But that's not enough. Why? Because there is only one thing that can cleanse you from sin. It is the blood of Christ. There is nothing more that God in heaven could have given. There is nothing more valuable that he could have shared uh, for you apart from the blood of his one and only son. So for you to say, hey man, you know, I don't really need that. I'm a good person. You know, I've never hurt anybody. You know, I've never taken any drugs. I've got a good job. I'm a good upstanding member of society. For you to say that is to say to God, I don't need your blood. But he looks at you and he says, you're naked and you're wretched and you're poor and you're miserable without my blood. You're a sinner. So what he does today, he invites you invite you to change invite you to get real to open this door and say Lord I don't just want to talk through it anymore you see you can pray all day long you know what you're doing you're talking through a door that's all you're doing what good is that he says let me in let me in I want to make it real so I want to pray for you Holy Spirit I ask you right now I ask you to rest upon every individual in this place and I ask that you would begin to stir them and shake them and awaken them to see, Lord, that you're calling them to a real relationship. I implore you in this moment to ignore the person sitting next to you and to be naked in your soul before God. You see, when you stand before God, you won't be stood next to somebody. You'll be alone, just him and you. You may think, man, this is harsh, but I want to tell you what, the cross was harsh. You see, sin is a harsh problem and it needed a harsh solution. Sin is a curse and it's killing the human race one by one. It's a cancer of the soul and there's only one cure. It's the blood of Jesus. So I want to ask you right now, if you're here, and you don't know Jesus in the way that I'm talking about. You may say, hey, how do I know if I really know him? Has the door been opened? Has your sin been canceled? Or are you still carrying it? I describe it like a check. You know, if you owe the bank a million dollars and I give you a check of a million dollars and you hold the check and you put it by your bedside, you put it by your nightstand, And you even talk to the check before you go to sleep. But you never walk into a bank and make an exchange. You never give your your check and receive the clearance. Then you're still in debt. Are you still in debt with God? Have you simply taken the check but never cashed it? Because Jesus stands at the door today and he says, cash the check that I've written in my blood. You see, he didn't write you a check in pen. He wrote it in his blood. Most expensive check ever written. And he's here today with that check. He says, I want to make you clean. So if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm talking about getting real. I'm talking about leaving the road you're on, changing direction and saying, I'm done with that way. I want to follow you your way. If you're not 100% certain that that's what you're doing, then I encourage you and implore you to take this opportunity. One, Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. Two, he rose again on the third day. And three, he stands at your side right now and says, give me your life. If that's you, raise your hand high to heaven. Say, Jesus, I want it all. I want to give it all. I want to receive it all. I want to give you all my debt. 
and I will receive all your credit of your love. Don't be ashamed, guys. If you don't know him, if the Lord's touching your heart and you feel that stirring in your heart, your heart's racing, you feel the warmth of His love bubbling inside of you, you feel emotional, that is the Holy Spirit of God confirming these words, saying there is a Son of God who died on a cross to make you clean. Don't miss it. Anybody else? Holy Spirit, just move in this place, I pray. Move in this place. For those who raise their hands, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory. Anybody else here, you don't know him really. You don't really know him. Okay, I want to ask you guys, come to the front. Come stand. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Okay. And then I want to pray also. You guys just come and line up here at the front. And then I also want to pray this. If there are people here today, which I know they are, there are, and you guys are believers, but you have wondered and you have become cold and you become blind and he says I want to awaken you today if you're here this morning and you know that he's not the center of your life anymore and you want to make him the center of your life then I'm going to ask you to come forward also if he's not the center of your life anymore if maybe Jesus might look at you and say you're blind, wretched, naked and poor. If you could fall into that category, and it's going to take some honesty, but if you could fall into that category, then you need to come also. Holy Spirit, thank you. So we're going to pray for these people at the front. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. So for those who have come to accept the Lord for the first time or to recommit your life to Jesus, we're going to pray. If Jesus is at the door of your heart right now, then he wants permission to come in. So you're going to give him permission. Okay, so we're going to pray. Let's all say this together. If you came forward to let him in, let's say together. Let's say, Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I let you in. I say sorry for my sin. I choose to follow you. I make you the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit in Jesus name Father we bless them I ask you to fill them with the seal of your spirit right now in the name of Jesus and for those who came forward because they know that they've become lukewarm for those that have come forward because they say you're not the center of my life I'm just playing at this thing Lord, I ask you to break into their lives right now. I ask you to break, open their hearts right now with your love and show them that, yeah, it's a problem, but don't worry because the solution has already been provided. Thank you that you are the solution, that we don't need nothing else when we have Jesus. So, Lord, would you wash over them right now in the name of Jesus. Wash over them, wash over them. Let your blood wash over them in the mighty name of Jesus. We praise you, praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, guys, it's still time. If anybody's there, I just feel, I feel there are people here and you're wrapped in sin. You're, you're, you're dabbling in sin, but not just dabbling, it's become an addiction. And what's worse, what's the worst thing about this addiction is that you're masking your life to show people it's all good on the outside. And I believe the Lord would say, you're wretched, blind, and naked. You need to come and get right with me. 
if you're wrapped in sin, if you're indulged in, in habitual sin, and you're coming to church and to your friends and family, you're making out like life is good, and yeah, you know, you've you got a strong faith, then man, you need, to, you need to get right with God right now. So if that's you, I want to ask you to come. Jesus, we praise you. We love you. Lord, rest upon every life in this place. In Jesus' name. Come and respond. There's an ocean of grace. There's an ocean of grace available. All you've got to do is just jump in. Just jump into his grace. Don't feel condemnation. Just feel his acceptance. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move in this place. Thank you, Lord. Move in this place. Touch every heart, Lord. Every life. For the guys who came forward to accept the Lord, we just want to usher you out into the foyer where we're going to connect with you guys. So if you're praying for somebody who came forward to respond to Jesus for the first time or for a recommitment, we want to usher you guys out into the foyer there where we're going to get some coffee or we're going to get some connect details from you guys. So if you're praying for someone who came forward to respond to Jesus, then let's just walk them out there to my left. Thank you, Lord. And you can still pray out there, guys. If you're praying for somebody who came forward, you can continue to pray out there. So just make your way to my left if you came forward to accept the Lord. And we want to connect with you guys.